Um, thank you for joining me. Good morning and uh, welcome to Good Ancestors and Local Treasures with Corinne Pierce. Sintamana, Ana Pikabitam Day. I'm your host, KC Corinne Pierce. I'm a local Pomo basket weaver, traditional artist, herbalist, dancer, storyteller, and cultural educator with ancestry from Lake and Mendocino County tribes. Um, this morning, in honor of Women's History Month, I started our show with a Pomo women's dance song sung by Jackie Nash from Point Arena. I hope you enjoyed it. I think it's a good way to start our week. Yawi, thank you for joining me this morning to take a closer look at some of the places, people, and events that make our home in Mendocino, Lake, and Sonoma counties unique and rich. I am grateful to be able to share some of my personal heroes and friends who happen to be some of the most influential movers and shakers in our local indigenous community. I'm honored and excited to be joined this month, uh, Women's History Month, by two amazing local women making waves and making history in our area and nationally. My, my first guest is Georgina Marie Guadado. I hope I said that right, and if I didn't, she will correct me, because that is common and okay. <laughs> and she is of Mojave descent. She was recently appointed to her second term as Poet Laureate for Lake County, California, um, by the Lake County Board of Supervisors. She's the first Mexican-American and the youngest person to serve in that position. She is also a 2021 Poets Laureate Fellow with the Academy of American Poets. Congratulations on that, and thank you for being here, Yawi. My second guest is Lori Leowa Thomas, a member of the Hopland Band of Pomo Indians. Lori is a local scholar, professor, storyteller, cultural educator, and culture bearer. She is going to share with us the groundbreaking and needed work that she's doing in education. And if we're lucky, we get to hear one of her famous stories and one of her songs that she um, said that she would share with us. Thank you for being here, Lori. Um, I've been trying to get here, her on here since October, um, and everything just went crazy, <laughs> and um, she was actually not supposed to be our original guest for this show, um, but our original guest had to um, step away, and Lori stepped right up, and so I was so grateful that she was able to do that. Um, thank you for coming. I don't want to waste any time with these interesting and busy folks, uh, so we're going to jump right in with Georgina. Welcome. Um, please introduce yourself to everybody listening um, and let us know what you are up to. What are you creating personally and in community? And I'm hoping that you will grace us with the reading. Of course. Thank you so much for having me, Corinne. It's a pleasure to be here with you and Lori. Um, so yeah, you said my, my name perfectly. It's Guardado, my last name. Uh, but most people know me as Georgina Marie. And like you said in my introduction, I'm the Poet Laureate of Lake County. I was originally appointed in March of 2020 right at the onset of the pandemic when Lake County started being affected. So normally with the Poet Laureate, for those who don't know what one is, it's essentially an ambassador for poetry in a community. So we have them in cities, states, counties. Um, we have a national Poet Laureate who is Native American, Joy Harjo, and she's serving a historic three terms right now uh, for the U.S. But essentially we promote poetry, encourage uh, creative writing and literacy in our community. So Typically, that would be done with a lot of in-person events, but because of COVID, everything was pretty much virtual, trying to be safe for our communities. 
So I was appointed in March of 2020, and um, I'm so grateful to have been uh, offered the opportunity to have a second term. So I'll be serving for two more years through 2024. Right now, um, my biggest project is because I was appointed as a Poets Laureate Fellow through the Academy of American Poets. That's what I'm focusing on, uh, which is a civic project I proposed for Lake County to bring a visual representation of poetry all around the lake. Um, a lot of our poetry events tend to happen maybe in Lakeport, Middletown, kind of the bigger areas, but we are such a spread out rural community. So I wanted to bring poetry to each community in some way. So through my fellowship with the Academy, I'm installing poetry displays in every community around the county. And that's either a poetry box, which has a single poem on display. We switch them out weekly or bi-weekly. Um, also little poetry libraries, it's like free little libraries stocked with poetry books or murals for communities who are interested in, in murals um, specifically for poetry. Although the poetry boxes and the little libraries are most popular. So those have been going up around the county. Um, if you visit my website, georginamariepoet.com, under my fellowship page, I have a map of the current displays. So anyone can go and visit them. Um, they're in, uh, let's see, Kelseyville, Middletown, and Clear Lake. We have some pending for Lower Lake, Lakeport, another one in Clear Lake and Upper Lake as well. So that's my main focus. Um, and also just making sure to provide different opportunities for poetry in Lake County. So you'll see um, different events that I'm popping up doing either readings or virtual writing workshops. I'm also on the board of directors for the Lake County Arts Council and the Mendocino Coast Writers Conference. So I also do work with them. So I'm just making sure that writing and poetry is visible and accessible to all. That is so awesome. You're doing such um, big work. I'm always really grateful for fellowships when they um, choose people that are um, from lesser seen communities, you know, from rural communities, from um, people of color communities. So much work gets done. You know, it's amazing. Um, so I, I don't know you very well. And this is actually the very first time that I've had someone on the show that I don't know very well. <laughs> so I would love to hear um, a little bit about you and how you came to poetry. I have friends that are poets. I, I'm an artist in many kinds of ways, but the written word escapes me. So I love to hear, I would love to hear from you about that. Yeah, for sure. Um, just a note on the fellowship. It's it's an incredible opportunity, really, to especially to be from such a small area in Lake County. Um, the Academy of American Poets is the largest supporter of poetry across the U.S., and they have the most funding. So it's it was pretty incredible to get that call that I was selected as one of 23 across the U.S. Um, but yeah, I, I was introduced to poetry around the age of 15. I'm in my early 30s now, so it's been you know, half of my life that I've been involved in writing. But <clears throat> originally, I came to poetry as a struggling teen. I had a... a pretty traumatic childhood that I'm now starting to come to terms with and being able to talk about through my creative writing. So through trauma and depression as a teenager, I was really struggling. And I actually graduated high school early and went into a college class, um, an English class, where I was introduced to Sylvia Plath, who is a, a very well-known confessional poet. And as she just kind of blew my mind because her work is very haunting. It's very deep. Um, she writes a lot about her mental illness, and I had never seen that before. 
so it, it sort of gave me permission in a way to write about what I was going through and somehow formulate it into to words and make it more than just an internal struggle. So that was around 15 or 16 that I was introduced to it. And I just kind of fell in love with poetry. I spent a lot of time writing at home in my bedroom alone. Um, being a writer, you tend, it tends to be a solitary act. So you do spend a lot of time alone in your head sometimes with your pen and your paper. Um, but I, I just started writing then and I started um, sharing my poetry, I think around age 16 or 17. I was very um, protective of it and wasn't very comfortable speaking out about what I was going through or sharing my work. But I had to sort of a mentor at the Lake County Arts Council who encouraged me to share work with him and he shared it with the community. Um, but after that, I was pretty quiet with my work, um, probably until 2017. I just focused more on getting through life and working and uh, making a living for myself. And poetry was kind of on the back burner, but it was always my passion. So around 2017, something just changed for me, um, started being more um, committed to my craft and wanting to improve it and share it with the community and, and starting to build community too with others being able to share work and encourage others to write. So that's kind of my story. Thank you very much. Um, so I have another question and I know um, when you, when you do what you do, when you elevate the art that you create, you run into people who you inspire. And I know that you inspire a lot of people. That's how I heard about you, not directly from you, but from people that you inspire. So I would really love, um, I don't think that artists get enough time to share um, impactful stories about what you've done in community. Like I have great stories about when I go visit kids at school and, you know, like they touch you on the knee and they're like, this is the best day ever. Um, I would love to hear a story from you about, um, a positive impact that you've had from the work that you're doing? Wow. Um, it's interesting because I think <clears throat> with this kind of work, um, I'm sort of a perfectionist and I can be very hard on myself. And so I tend to focus more on doing the work and not stopping and, and thinking about the ways it's impacting people in a positive way. Um, so when you ask me that, I feel like I'm actually flooded with a lot of moments, which makes me feel like I'm doing doing the right thing. Um, oh man, I, I think one thing that comes to mind is I had a first applied to be Lake County's Poet Laureate in 2018. And I went through the interview process. There was a live reading that determined the winner and I didn't get it that year. I was very disappointed. Um, but for good reason, because it, it just wasn't my time. Um, but I had done a reading and I felt like I wasn't really that well known. I mean, I grew up in Lake County, but folks weren't really that well aware of my writing. Um, but I went to the Middletown Art Center and I read, um, I did a set of reading with my work. And after they announced the winner and it wasn't me, people started coming up to me afterwards and, um, you know, just grabbing my hand or giving me some positive notes and saying, your poetry means so much to me. You're speaking on these real topics. Um, and I had, people coming up to me and giving me their own poems. There was a woman who had printed out a copy of a poem and handed it to me and just wanted me to have it. And so I think that's one thing that sticks in my mind because sharing work, especially on vulnerable topics or on the topics of trauma, um, it's very hard to be open and to share those with 
with others in community and for others to feel comfortable enough with me to want to share their work. I think that's one thing that makes me feel very proud of what I'm doing. And maybe it's through sharing my own vulnerabilities and resiliences that people feel comfortable um, going out into community and even establishing a community for the first time and being a part of this circle. And in Lake County, we have such a rich literary community that some folks may not necessarily know about. So I think that's the first, first good thing that comes to mind. Awesome. Thank you so much. Um, so we have a little bit more time to talk with you. So there are two things I would like, I would love for you to do a reading and in honor of women's history month, I'm, I'm asking you and I'm going to ask Lori the same thing to um, mention by name, a woman that has inspired you in your life for whatever reason you want. Um, we don't elevate women enough. Um, one month out of the year is not enough. <laughs> so, um, you know, my, I'm super inspired by my mother, Barbara Grauman, and she grew up here and she um, was amazing. Uh, I could do a whole show about her, but I would love to know who inspires you, uh, what woman in history, in your history, should be elevated, and um, please share a reading with us. Sure. Well, I feel emotional just thinking of include a name there's so many um of course my mother because she raised me and we went through so many hardships and so just giving her credit for everything that she did to make sure I turned out okay um but I think I have to say my sister Alicia um she and I were incredibly close she passed away in 2018 and um she was always very encouraging of everything I did, but especially poetry. I didn't become poet laureate when she was still here, but she had encouraged me to keep trying. And so when I finally did get appointed, of course, she wasn't here to witness it. Um, but her voice is always in the back of my head. And she used to always say, if I was unsure about doing something, um, do it and see what happens. So that kind of just sticks in my head with anything I do. Um, it's the silliest little thing, but it always encourages me. If I'm worried about something, if I'm scared to do something, just do it and see what happens. So um, she was uh, an incredible mother. She raised two incredible kids. She was a nurse, so she gave her time back to the community here. She worked with 4-H um, community here as well and helped others. So she was just an incredibly inspiring person, and she still continues to inspire me, even though she's not here. And I'm happy to do a reading. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Of course. So I was thinking, um, because you are a basket weaver, I wanted to read a poem that talks about wild grasses. Uh, it's like the one poem I thought would kind of connect the two of us. And so this is a fairly newer poem I wrote. A poem is a landscape, is a soft place to fall. This thing comes as waves, unfailingly, in unison with florets of grass swaying on terra firma, purple needlegrass, melica, wild rye, feel blades snake-like from intermittent zephyrs, feel this to feel alive. I believe I was born into grief, somehow always knowing death was narrowly on the other side. I once woke my mother, eight years old, crying, mourning for her death, afraid my father would use the weapon under his pillow on any given day. Home was not a safe place to land in, Grass is a natural water collector, even in summer, how it feels velvet, moist, an understated bed heaven for bare feet 
and consoling. California oat, green seed sedge, native. So much in this life is a hardened surface. So much is unmoving, holds you still and stagnant from reaching well-being. I remember the darkest soil being the safest haven, the anura, bullfrog, earthworm, Annalita. There was no fear in the earth's cradle. I dear dance around words for wild grasses because they are easier to say aloud than to say abuse, to say hurt, to say wounded, to say that in my mind I am a little girl playing alone on a backyard trellis, avoiding the inside of a home I feared, a domestic legacy of hitting and shouting and meaning, my legacy, a soft poem. Thank you. Oh, that was beautiful. You know, it's supposed to make me cry before I have to <laughs> do a station identification. Thank you so much, Georgina. It's uh, such an honor and a pleasure um, to have you here today and to have you in the community um, elevating art and healing in the way that you do. Thank you so much. Um, you are listening to KZYX, Philo, 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah, 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. Uh, you are listening to Good Ancestors and Local Treasures with Corrine Pierce, and we had Georgina Marie, uh, our of Lake County Poet Laureate as our first guest. And we're about to um, talk with our second guest, Lori Leowa Thomas, um, who is a friend of mine and I actually have known my whole life growing up. We've danced together, we've sung together and shared meals together. And she is doing amazing, amazing work in um, our community. She teaches uh, at the college at more than one school, actually. So I'm just going to um, hand it over to her and let her tell you about the amazing things that she does and who she is in our community. Welcome, Lori Sintamana. Yahweh, thank you for having me, Corinne, and thank you, Georgina. Chamai, Keshi, Lori Lewa Thomas, Shinello and Shokawake, Boya and Padahuke. Amashumak Elateke, Kashaya Edanakake. I'm also Coast Miwok from Tamales, Tamales K. And I have other ancestry from other areas of Lake County, from Panolville, from Lima, Peru, one great, 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 great grandma. I am an enrolled member of Hopland. I was raised, though, on my father's reservation over in Point Arena, on the Point Arena side of the Manchester Rancheria. Um, and I also, I'm also an instructor at Mendocino College and at other colleges. I'm branching out and working at different colleges, and I hope, I hope to become an online instructor, actually, um, and market myself like that. I really enjoy it. Um, I've been teaching two years at Mendocino College. I currently teach Native American history. I teach uh, ethnic studies, Pacific Coast Indian cultures. I have a brand spanking new class that I'm building right now. It's called Native Americans and Federal Indian Policy. Um, I will teach that in Fort Bragg this summer. And it's going to be for upward bound students from Fort Bragg Mendocino High School region. 
So I'm teaching ethnic studies and um, a federal Indian law this summer over in Fort Bragg. And then um, I'm also, um, I've taught introductions to Native American studies at Sac State last semester. So um, creating new courses and having a lot of fun. Um, I've been teaching now solid for two years at Mendo and I'm really enjoying it. Um, let's see. And so in honor of um, Women's Day, I wanted to um, um, speak about my mom. And I hope I don't cry. <laughs> I probably will. But I just wanted to honor my mother. Um, my mother is Shirley Smith. And she went by formerly known as Shirley Lewa. She was married to my father and lived over in Point Arena for 17 years. And she got to know the people of the coast very well. She is a Hoplin um, Indian. And her mother was Genevieve Knight. And her father is Kermit Smith of Potter Valley. And so her ancestor descends all over through Lake County, um, down uh, in Hopland, all throughout the villages here. Um, she was also very proud of her Irish blood <laughs> through the night side. Um, but I just wanted to mention something about my mom that I'm hoping that I want all everyone to know about her. Um, I was part of a really big deal in the 70s. It was a cultural revitalization movement taking place. And my mother was the um, northern, uh, it was called Project NICE. It was an agency based in Eureka, California. And it focused on cultural revitalization in six northern counties, Lake, Mendocino, Humboldt, Del Norte, Trinity, and Siskiyou. And um, mom was the Mendocino County representative. And she is trying to get um, the, the dance traditions revived over in our area on the coast. And I asked her, how did she do it? Because it took her two years to convince James Frank, Jesse Frank, our singer, to teach us. She said it. she worked on him for two years before 1972 to 1974. And she said, I said, what was the turning point? How did you get it done, though? How did he agree to it? And I asked her that right before she passed away in 2004. And she told me that, you know, she had a very close relationship with Jess. They were extremely close, best friends. And she said she kept telling Jess, she goes, you know, Jess, are, are you Indian? Yes or no? And he goes, well, well, yeah, of course I am, Shirley. And she goes, well, then teach these kids. Jess, if you don't teach them, they're going to be running around in parades over in Ukiah wearing war bonnets. They're going to act like Plains Indians. He goes, you got to teach them. They're not going to know anything. And she agreed for him to teach us yoke, a social dancing, which is completely separate from ceremonial ritual and healing dancing. The big head dances, the, um, the star dance and cross dance and all those other dances, right? So she got Jesse to... Um, to agree to it and so we um, we created the, the that was the birth of the coastal pomo dancers and they had some very influential people in there and it was my mom and lucille frank her cousin who are the people who are responsible for why women wear capes today their original pattern was based off of cutting newspaper and they created the very first shell dresses with the tops and the capes with the abalone shells going all around. And the very first dresses that we wore 
um, as far as the shell abalone shell dresses. That was mom and Lucille's creation. And when I look at the capes today, I always think of that. And I hope you guys do too when we see capes. Um, another thing that they did was even how the whole dance, the whole choreography and the whole um, the, the, the way that dance was set up as far as what we know today as big-time dancing, public performance dancing, demonstration dancing, big-time dancing. And she designed that. And that's where that solo dance came from, the women's solo dance come from. Mom was a performer. She was also a singer. She told me that if it wasn't for my dad, she would have given Loretta Lynn some serious competition in her time because <laughs> she actually supported herself um, working in two bands um, down in Fort Ord, um, where she met my brother Sean's dad, and she lived down there, and that's what she was, and so that was a really big deal. So that cult cultural revitalization movement that happened over on the coast impacted all the people in the inland, because all of the people in the inland sing Point Arena songs, and, and at that time, you know, it was really a hard time. There were people using Panasonic tape recorders to dance to. There was like, like Dave Smith said, I mean, really, I seen it. I seen it with my own eyes as a little kid. Guys dancing with towels out the back of their pants because we didn't have regalia. And so Jesse taught us that. Jesse actually was my Frank from Point Arena. He was my first CIMC. It was the JTPA pro program, I think it was the very first um, summer employment work for youth when I was 14 years old, Jess was my first supervisor and he taught me how to put all the shells on all the dresses. That was my job. And he even taught me how to cut feathers and make a feather cape and a ishich. Um, he told me how to cut the feathers, how to make them lay down, all of that stuff. He was really a wonderful guy. He used to re lovingly refer, refer to me and my sister Kim as Betty and Wilma. And we used to just laugh. Um, another thing I just wanted to mention about mom one of the projects that I'm working on is writing her autobiography, and I started it in grad school, and it was actually my essay to get into grad school at UC Davis. And hold on, she got the one, Sorry. <laughs> Anyways, um, oh, as I was saying, oh, the I wanted to tell you a quick story about my mom. I'm writing a, a book about her. It's called Passing Like Wildfire. And it's a term that was coined by her fifth grade school teacher called Mrs. Philbrick. And what happened is mom was going to the school there over in Hoplin and her, she was in fourth grade and her teacher, Mrs. Philbrick gave her a fifth grade geography assignment to work on for the next year. She said, I finished it before school got out in fourth grade. And on my report card, she said, my teacher wrote, Shirley is passing like wildfire. And she said, I'll never forget that as long as I live. So I always think of that when I think of the term passing like wildfire means that my mom worked hard to be good at everything that she did. And she mastered cultural education. She mastered all of those things. She went to school and got her degree when she was 50. She helped. She became a singer. She was really influential and she did a lot of things for people. And so I'm writing that for her and remembering her teacher, Mrs. Philbrick, and just remembering how much my mom did for people. I watched her siphon gas out of her cars to get people to the ER when people needed help. 
she was always there to help people, a lot of people. I watched her do that all my life. She was a very hardworking woman. She would open up all the windows in the house at like five in the morning and everybody tell everybody, roll out, no money in bed, and freezes out. And so those are just some of the little things that I think of when I think of my mom. But I have a daughter that's 20 right now. I'm, I'm talking to you from her dorm room up here at College of the Redwoods in Eureka <laughs> visiting and I'm just thinking of all the things that my mother did for me to go to school, all without a fax, without a cell phone, with nothing. She did all of that. I don't do any of that. My daughter does all of that herself. She's so tech savvy. And so I just think about that when I think of my mom. And um, and and there's a lot of other women, too, in my family who I think about. But I always want to pay recognition to my mother for that. Thank you for sharing that, Lori. Um, so I'm just going to do a quick history lesson real quick. So um, there's a few things that I want to say. I want to say that me and Lori, we were really uh, lucky to gr be born and grow up when we were, because when we were born, um, the laws were just changing. It was illegal to practice any sort of indigenous religion until 78 so for her mother to be asking for a culture bearer to teach children was actually asking them to break the law um which was you know that's a big thing and i i remember your mom a lot <laughs> um and she was i just want to mention she was the first woman that i ever saw hold rock um mm -hmm. and that was always amazing and i also, I talked about this a couple of times ago, but um, we we grew up in the time when they were when um, culture was exploding because it could because we were allowed to have access to it, and a lot of the songs, like Lori said, a lot of the songs that are sung in the Ukiah Valley are from the coast because that was who came, who showed up. It was Shirley, it was Dave, it was Clarence. They showed up. Um, to teach uh, once they were able to. So I'm really grateful for your mother also, Lori. Um, so you've been, t it's a big deal also what Lori is doing at the college. She is a Native woman teaching about Native history. Um, and sh I've heard amazing, amazing things. And I wish that I could go back to college <laughs> and had time to take all of those classes. Um, Lori, can you talk to us about... Um, what you're seeing happening in those classes, the students that you're getting, the understanding that they have, um, this is extra stuff. So you don't learn about um, Native Americans in high school. Not really. You don't learn about them in elementary school. Um, if you want to learn anything about Native people, you pay extra and you go to college and you have to take those classes. Um, so Lori, I would love to hear um, yeah, so I'm going to say something about Lori, too. So she is going to be a doctor soon. You know, she'll have her Ph.D. soon, so we can call her Dr. Lori Thomas. Um, and it was illegal for us to go to school. And then we were put into boarding schools. And it, school can be traumatic. She has mastered that. <laughs> her mom was a big pusher of education. I remember that very clearly. Um, and... Lori's daughter um, is just accomplishing something amazing. And I, Lori, would you be willing to share about your daughter? Yes. Yes. Oh. Yay. Okay. 
my beautiful Sheila, her name is Gakamuts. It means morning star. She's named that in the Kashaya language and in Pointerina language. And, oh, my daughter is in her second year at College to the Redwoods. And she applied for a, she's wanted to be a doctor um, since she was a little girl. And she secured one of eight spots in the whole country to go to the very first cohort of Ohiesa, Charles Eastman, the very first American Indian physician who was out there on the battlefield at, um, at Wounded Knee Massacre. Anyways, Harvard uh, is a partnership between Harvard University and the Boston, the Women's um, Clinic in Boston. That's where all the Harvard pre-med students do their residencies and the clinical. Um, she was accepted into the program. She made the cut. She's one of eight going back there, fully paid for three weeks in Boston this summer. And then she's got so many opportunities ahead of her. So she's going to be going to med school. And we don't have very many people here from California um, that can do that. I mean, I can literally name them on my 10 fingers <laughs> who's done it so for her to do that i'm very proud of her as a young woman me i've been spending two days with her we've been shopping and we can't wait we're getting looking at all these different things and applying for other programs and looking and um getting help with mentoring as far as you know she's starting a um an aces group chapter right here at college of the redwoods and different things she's working with um um even with some partnerships with her little club here rise um, working with different local tribes up here. So I'm really proud of her. She's really come a long way. That is really <laughs> proud. I'm so, I'm so proud too. Like I, I, I want to elevate everybody that is doing this amazing work. And I, I feel like I might be able to say she's probably the first, um, if not the first person completely, definitely the first woman to be going to Harvard, um, from yeah. any of our communities. And that is for sure. Yes. Um, all right, Lori. So tell us, um, tell us about your students at the college and what you are sharing with them. I am having the most amazing experience. I have been teaching three classes per semester since the pandemic started. Um, and I've had a wonderful experience. Now, the court, the subject matter of these classes um, often um, often the um, a, a lot of emphasis is placed on the disastrous, the plight of the Native American. And, oh, I feel so sorry for the poor Indians. Um, I teach with the theme of survivance, resiliency, and um, sovereignty, and put an indigenous spin on, on the coursework as far as even just creating my syllabi. Um, looking for new books, looking for new material constantly so that it's, and I spice up my classes. I work really, really hard at finding good things for them to, to learn about. And they're having an amazing time. We discussed some really, really rough things, especially most of the students, by the time they get to, to my classroom, they've been exposed to the myth of the narrative of the United States and stereotypes and myths. And so we debunk those. And I give them all these different um, ideas about possibilities and, and um, uh, topics that are really, really rough, especially probably the, the topics and the modules that students have the most difficult time with are residential schools, 
um, genocide, um, the Indian Wars. They have a really tough time. And so what we do is I've, in, um, I've also added a component for traumatic and generational trauma. I let everybody know that our classroom is a very safe place for all people. I, we, I, I discuss very sensitive topics such as white fragility, white supremacy, and all of those things and what they mean so that students don't come into my classroom because a lot of times people think, oh, this is a Native American history class. Oh, this is critical race theory. Oh, this is about jumping on all white people. No, it's not doesn't have to be and we need to get away from that kind of thinking just say look at um, I'm not requiring you to like take sides here this isn't an us versus them thing uh, Native Americans are part of US history and here's why and so we use these wonderful books they're having a great time and probably the most the most exciting thing I'm experiencing right now is that I'm currently teaching at Round Valley High School and I have 14 Native students. We have the biggest registration in history at Mendocino College up there. And I want to go to the, I'm willing to go to the satellite campuses to go out there to the places where the people are more isolated and have a difficult time. And Round Valley tends to have more people cancel on those classes because of the drive, the isolationist, whatever. Anyways, I do it though, and I love it. And they are having a, an amazing time. This week, we are preparing for our midterm and I typically make Indian tacos for my in-person classes for midterm study prep but they I'm going to make the bread and they're going to do everything else the students decided because I also feed them we have pizza we have snacks because the class is from 4 to 7 p.m right um, we I bring all of that each week and it's it's worked even in my class at the Ukiah High School enrollment shot up to almost 100% when I started bringing food three days a week over at Ukiah High the last period. It was an amazing thing. And so I do that with the students over here, and they love it. They tell me they love it. Um, I have a great experience with all of my students. I write lots of letters of recommendation, and I think I've five of my students have secured employment in the local area from letters of recommendation and job references. And I also tell them that I will be a reference for them as long as they do a really good job. <laughs> so I love it. I love that they're learning things that they don't know and that they're not holding on to that pain and looking at ways to um, uh, reconcile um, a lot of the genocide that's going on here in California, informing them about all these great things going on, this cultural revitalization movement going on, um, the, the Native response to the pandemic, how wonderful that is, and just give them a lot of things and inspire them and encourage them to keep going to school. And my goal is to help all students feel successful and to feel important and to graduate and how much we need that, how much it's so, it's so important, both the cultural education and a mainstream education is important and that there's nothing wrong with knowing how to read and write. <laughs> oh, that is the truth. Um, education yeah. is really important. And I say that, uh, and this is coming from me, somebody who hated 
formal education all the way from the day they brought me to kindergarten until the day I left school. I hated every second of it. And now I teach in schools <laughs> because I want yeah. kids to have to see what I didn't see in school. I want representation. I want someone that looks like me. I want someone that sounds like me. I want someone that's experienced what I've experienced. Um, and you do that in such an awesome, relatable way, Lori. I think you're just you make me giggle every time that I talk to you. It's just great. You're very, you are very infectious. So, oh, um, let me tell you something with you real quick. All right. Yay. Told me when I, my very first class was in person, that's when it got shut down, right? In January of 2020. So I taught and I had, oh, it was full. My classes are filled. And I had several native students in my class and i come walking in and go up to the front of the room right i have the students write a reflection paper about what they learned and different things and how this course um their response to this course and the material that was provided to them during the semester and that's their final response paper that's due in addition to their project or final exam and one girl told me that she said it was so cool to see a Native woman walking in that classroom and walking up right to the front of the room. Our teacher was Native, and she had purple hair. <laughs> she said that she had tears in her eyes, and they all did. And even we just watched some films um, just recently up in Covalo, and we were all crying. But you know what? It is the most amazing. That is the most amazing experience I've had in a very long time, and I love all my classes. But we laugh so much up there in Covalo. It's different. It's amazing. And most instructors where I come from, we hardly ever see a Native student. In five years at Davis, I only had two students come through my class. And one was a girl from Sherwood Valley. And one was a gentleman from Hopland Tribe. That's it. That's the only time I ever seen a Native student at the university. And so it's great here. Thank you so much, Lori. I, when you giggle, I think of this quote that I see a lot that says, um, indigenous women's laughter is medicine on its own. <laughs> I always think about that. All right, Lori, we have enough time, I think, for, um, your song. And if you are, if everyone's ready for a scary story in the morning, uh, we okay. have time for that. Yay. So I wanted to sing this for you because, um, we had forgotten all about this song until when my mother passed away back in 2004. Me and my brother, Sean, were cleaning out her garage, her storage. And I found a VHS tape of her from 1987. And she was she used to hold birthday parties for her uh, uncle, for Uncle Angelo Knight of Hopland and Aunt Juanita Antone. And their birthdays are in June. So we would be out Lake Mendocino and she put on a big, made a big deal. And then she would sing for them. And they loved it. Anyways... There was this recording of mom singing this song. And I go, oh, my God, I forgot all about that one. I forgot all about it. So I ran and told Clarence Carrillo from over in Point Arena because we were having um, Strawberry Festival. We were having Strawberry Festival on the coast. And I said, I just remembered this song. I want to listen. Do you remember it? And he goes, oh, my God, I want to learn it right now. And he went. And then Jordan goes, I want to learn, too. And so they sang it that night at the Roundhouse for the very first time in many, many years. And it's a song just for women to dance because in Kashaya they have lots of songs and 
dances that are just for women to dance to, that honor women. And women are the leaders. So this is a song, and it goes like this. Shamhenno yo weya shamhenno yo weya shamhenno yo weya shamhenno yo weya bole 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 aya aha yo weya shamhenno yo weya shamhenno yo weya shamhenno yo weya shamhenno yo Weya bole 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 aya aha yo weya shamhenno yo weya ha ha. So that's the song, and I've that's only for women to dance to, and I've I've heard it sung, and uh, I've seen other people all dance to it, but really that's only supposed to be just for women to dance to, and if we hadn't found that video cassette. We would have forgotten about that beautiful song, at least for me. Um, somebody may have remembered it elsewhere, but it brought back a lot of joy. And I know that Round Valley actually uses that in their dance group for the very last song when they invite everybody up to dance. And I have so much fun. I just go right out there and I just love it. And so um, I've been dancing, you know, since I was, since I could walk. I started dancing long before the Coastal Pomo dancers because uh, my grandmother was from Stewart's Point, and my parents left us a lot with our grandmother. She babysat us. So we were always there in that roundhouse all the time. I mean, all the time. <laughs> so that meant a lot to me. So I was really happy um, to know that song. And I'm teaching my daughter, and I teach according to the old way. I know that I could record it real quick for her and just, like, teach it to her. But, well, not that song, but other prayer songs. The prayer songs, I make my kids learn the old-fashioned way, just like I had to. No recordings allowed. you got to sit down and learn it. We call each other on the phone, and we practice over the phone. Even like that, we have to do whatever we have to do to keep it alive. <laughs> that is so awesome. My, um, So I'm going to do another shout-out to somebody else that I think is awesome. My sister, Nicole Grauman, she is um, the song keeper, really, for our family. <laughs> um, so she's the video recording and I forget songs a lot but she remembers all of them she remembers dance songs and prayer songs and hand game songs and I often have to call her and be like hey Nikki um how does that song go that goes like this <laughs> so it's I understand the struggle of wishing I had them all recorded but knowing that some of them can't be um all right Lori so I tried to have Lori on our show in October oh. because she is famous for her scary stories and um i think she has such high attendance for her college classes because at the end of every class she tells a scary story that's all i know everyone that it takes that class is like oh you should you should listen to this story i was like oh i want to take the class so pretend it's october <laughs> spooky time outside and Lori's gonna share a scary story with us okay Yes, I am a collector of stories. I was groomed from a very early age to know the history and stories. I think that's what makes a great teacher, a great storyteller. And the students can't get enough. They beg me for more. Beg! Anyway, I always end class with a good juicy story. So I'm going to share one that happened to you only about four weeks ago, a brand spanking news story that I experienced somewhat 
and you'll explain what you'll know what I mean when I get done. So about four weeks ago, my husband and a friend of mine decided to cruise over to Westport for the day. It was beautiful, picked up some sandwiches, and all the way over Branscombe Road from Laytonville, we listened. He told me story after story after story. I mean, this happened right here, and see this part of the road right here, and oh, my dad saw Bigfoot right here, right here, right here, right here, right here. So all the way over, right? So we're coming down into uh, probably about three miles out of Highway 1, and we're coming down the grade. There's a series of switchbacks, and he's telling me how a long time ago that the people of Laytonville um, were picking blackberries there and that they came across a group of little people who had little bearskin capes, and they were standing in a circle, and they were doing a sort of a ritual, and the leader was doing this little dance. Um, in my class, I actually stand up and move and show them how it's done. But um, anyway, these little people are known to be uh, live in these two canyons um, on Branscombe Road. And they all I know about them is that they're little and that they have really big bottom teeth. So, so we're coming down the canyon and we're coming down that road. And I go, oh, you mean this canyon right here? And he goes, no, 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 right there. And he points across the street. He goes, and then he goes, and then see right here, there's another one. They're close together. There's two beautiful deep ravines. They're filled with ferns and redwoods and all manzanita and all sorts of beautiful plants and trees and greenery. And so we go over to the coast and, you know, I, I had thought about it that, oh, okay, on the way back, I didn't tell them this. Um, I'm going to stop and pull out at that pullout and it's, uh, and I want to get a photo of that canyon. It'll make a great back, back, background zoom for when I tell my stories. So, so we get back in the car and we're heading home. The sun went down. It's not dark enough to have car lights yet. Um, you don't need them. But it's starting to get dark and the road's getting darker and there's a big canopy of trees over so it makes it look darker than it normally is, right? So I'm coming up and I'm getting to the part of the road where that pullout is, where the, the canyon is that he talked about. And so I didn't see this only because I was keeping an eye on the road in front of me and the sharp turn behind me. I didn't want anyone to just pull up and just hit me uh, from behind. So I carefully was watching the mirror as I pulled off into a pullout. And normally I pull off into a pullout, I slap it in park, and I hop out with my camera, and I snap it real quick and get back in the car and go. I pulled up next to something that I did not see except for I just saw a blur. My husband and my friend behind me saw it, though. And, in fact, they got really super excited, and they go, what is that, what is that? And I go, what, what? Because I was looking in the mirrors and making sure that, you know, no one comes and rams me from behind. And he goes, it's right in front of you, Lori. And my husband goes, you pulled up right next to it. My husband and my friend described, all I did was when I finally looked in front of me, I just saw a dark blur from right to left of my front hood of my car. I just saw like a movement of like a black shadow just went, Phew! From right to left, my husband and my friend said that it was a man in a dog skin and that he had black curly hair and its head was, I drive a Honda Passport. It's like a, it's like a, um, it's like a Tacoma. It's like a truck. It's tall. My husband said the head of that dog was uh, a foot above my hood and it was on all fours and it was a man clearly in a black 
dog skin. And my friend said that right behind me. He goes, it's right in front of you. It's right in front of you. So I'm like wondering what the hell's going on because I didn't see anything. And I was like, oh, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for not letting me see that. It wasn't meant for me to see. So I drive off. And I'm driving up the road. And I want to go back and see. I go, I want to go back and look. And my friend behind me goes, no. He goes, drop me off of the road. You can come back. I don't want to come back. So we drive off. And as we drive off, we hit about two turns. And that road, there's no ditch. There's a drop-off. There's redwood trees right on the side. There's no yellow line. There's not even enough room for one vehicle in some turns. It's a windy, very steep mountain road. There was a man standing only two turns away from where we saw that. There was a man standing on the side of the road trying to blend in with the redwood tree. But I saw him. I looked right into his eyes. He was wearing a red shirt. And he was standing in a position of the hillside where normally people wouldn't even be able to stand. My husband and my friend also saw that. So we drove on and we went about probably 10 more miles and we were on the straight stretch right past Branscombe's Branscombe's store. And my friend's telling me more stories along the way and telling me there's a section of the road where there's the A-frame house. And he was telling me how Bigfoot terrorizes those uh, there all the white people that live there, the Masson people. And that they have experiences there. He goes, these are all my friends. I grew up with them. I went to school with them. He goes, that house right there really gets it. And as soon as he said that, my husband and him, I, again, I didn't see this. I was too busy focusing on the road. And my husband said that there was a little thing jumping around the side of the road and it had a long neck and it looked like a little miniature giraffe. My friend saw it too. I don't know what it was. But those were three sightings on Brownscombe Road four weeks ago. And I don't know what I'm going to see because I commute to Covalo. Uh, I drove back in the dark by myself the other night, and that was uh, downright terrifying. I ended class a little bit early. <laughs> so my husband usually rides with me, though, um, when I go up to Covalo. But that's just one of many stories that I know, and some of them are really bad. They'll scare the whole total pants off you. You have to go to the bathroom in pairs for the rest of your life. So literally writing down, avoid Branscombe Road. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's too scary. All right. Um, I am so grateful to have you both here today and to celebrate Women's History Month with you. Um, thank you for your stories. Thank you for your poetry. Thank you for what you do in our community. Thank you for being good ancestors and local treasures. I am so grateful for both of you. Um, I would be grateful to have you on any time and hear your wonderful words and stories and poems. Thank you very much, ladies. Yeah, we. And I'm going to um, leave now and I'm going to leave you with um, our women's show off song.
This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.